السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ and then take it out or is it sufficient to just you know swish the water around your mouth and spit it out what we see is that for cleaning the nose yes it's very clear that water has to be sniffed up into the nose and then blown out because if it's not taken in it cannot be blown out right but when it comes to rinsing the mouth then you don't have to exaggerate in the rinsing because if you do that that you take the water all the way to the back you might end up throwing up and it's kind of difficult to do that because the water may actually end up inside you may actually drink it so keep things simple where details are given then we are to be careful about them and where details are not given where something has not been made specific then we should do whatever is easier for us inshallah another question is that is it necessary to sniff up water and blow the nose after waking up from sleep every time or just in the morning likewise when it comes to washing the hands upon waking up is it every time or just in the morning In the ahadith we see that in some ahadith what is mentioned is in the morning and in some generally from sleep. So definitely in the morning when a person wakes up they should blow their nose, they should clean it out completely and also wash their hands before they do anything else. But otherwise as well it's a good habit. It's a good habit to do that because when you wake up you never know your face might not be that clean. So before you go in front of people, before you present yourself before people it's best to wash yourself up. Okay. Also another question was that can can a person wash a part of the body once in wudu and another part three times in the same wudu or is it necessary to maintain the same frequency throughout? It's best to maintain the frequency like if you're washing your hands once, your face once, then maintain that. But if for some reason let's say you start of washing three times so by the time you reach your feet you have very little water left and inshallah there's no sin in that. There were some questions related to wiping over let's say a bandaid or something inshallah that will be made clear in the next section that we will learn okay when it comes to wiping over the socks in wudu should that be only when it's difficult to take off the socks or even when it's possible for you to take off the socks no there is no condition that has been set you know a person would generally wear socks when it's cold or when they're outside of the house then definitely it's more convenient to wipe over it's saving time it's definitely more convenient but it's not necessary that you remove the socks and you wash your feet but remember that there will be a difference between washing and wiping in the sense that when you wash with the water what else will fall the sins also but when you wipe then inshallah some sins are removed but obviously less so some people they make it a habit that even in the summer you know they will wear their socks or even when they're at home they will wear their socks why just so that they don't have to wash their feet So yes it is convenient but don't make it a habit also wash your feet because that is also sunnah on the day of judgment those parts will be bright so it's necessary that we wash them more and more assalam alaikum okay. when as uh, washing the feet when you have a socks you make a wudu it's innovation when you wipe the, the feet with socks up and down masnoon is on the top only so don't make it hard upon yourself and start wiping at the bottom as well and if a person makes that a habit you know or considers it to be necessary or considers it to be better 
then that would be a problem. Assalamu alaikum. Um, with regards to wiping, is it also three times or just once? Once. Once. Bab Washing the arqab, meaning the heels. Aqib. What is the aqib? The heel of the foot. So washing the heels. And above the heel is the? Is the ankle. So washing the heel means washing the ankle as well. So we see that washing the heels in wudu is as necessary as washing the toes or the top part of the foot. The entire foot should be washed. The heel should not be neglected. The ankle should not be neglected. No, the foot all the way from the beginning to the end should be washed thoroughly. وَكَانَ ابْنُ سِرِينَ And Ibn Sirin يَغْسِلُ He would wash مَوْضِعَ The place of الْخَاتِم The ring إِذَا تَوَضَّأَ When he would perform wudu. Ibn Sirin, when he would perform wudu, he would wash the skin that was covered by his ring. Why is this being mentioned? That all parts have to be washed. Every part has to be made wet. Okay? Even if something is covered by a piece of jewelry, it has to be washed. So for example, a person is saying, oh, I'm wearing, let's say, pants or tights that cover my ankles and it's inconvenient for me to lift them up. No, you have to lift them up and you have to wash your ankle. You have to wash your heel. Now, this shows that when a part of the body, when a particular limb has to be washed, then all of it in its entirety has to be washed. It cannot be done that one part, you know, you only wipe over and the other you wash. Every part of it has to be washed and nothing of it should be left dry. And things that cover the skin could be such as, for example, over here it was mentioned, the ring. Likewise, a woman could be wearing some makeup on her eyes. Let's say she's wearing waterproof mascara. Or let's say she's wearing lipstick that is water repellent or any kind of makeup on the skin that is water repellent. Likewise, nail polish on the nails. Likewise, a person has a band-aid on their skin. A person is wearing huge earrings that are covering a major part of the ear, you know, things like that. So generally, what do we see? That that part, that thing has to be removed and then the skin under it has to be made wet as well. Now remember that things that cover the skin, there are of two types. One type of such things are those that are big. So when a person is wearing them, they cover a major, a significant portion of the skin. So for example, a ring. It's covering a major part of your skin. Likewise, a person has a band-aid on. Okay, that's also covering a major part of the skin. And other things are very, very small, almost, you know, it's not even noticeable. A very small amount of skin is covered. Let's say a person has to apply some kind of medication on the nail, on the edge, the side of the nail, their cuticle, you know, is infected or something. So they have to apply a medication that's almost like nail polish. It's very, very insignificant. It's like a barrier that is imperceptible. And on top of that, it's also very, very small. Likewise, a woman is wearing mascara on her eyelashes. How much is covered? Very, very small amount of the area is covered. So the scholars have differed over this. With regards to that which is big, that covers a major significant portion of the skin, it's very clear that that object has to be removed and the skin under it has to be washed. So for example, you're wearing a big ring. You remove it, you wash that part of the skin. Likewise, if a person is wearing a cast, if it's removable, you remove that and you wash your arm or you wash your foot. And likewise, if it's a band-aid, you remove that and you wash the skin. 
But if it's not possible to remove it, a person has fractured their ankle, a person has fractured their wrist, then they're not obligated to go through that hardship and remove that cast and wash up. Okay, likewise, you have a big cut on your skin, you're wearing a band-aid, and if you remove that and make your skin wet, it will not heal as quickly. So in that case, what should be done? Tayammu. Because remember that case of the man who was sick, who was sick and he became junub, right? And in the morning, he was wondering what to do. And the people told him, you have to take a bath, right? They didn't tell him, okay, wash your body and just wipe over your head. No, they told him you have to take a bath. And he died as a result of that. And when the Prophet ﷺ found out, he said, they killed him. May Allah kill them. He was very upset that if they did not know, they should have asked those who knew. And that man should have simply performed tayammum and that would have been sufficient. So like we learned earlier, that what has to be washed cannot be replaced by wiping. So you have a band-aid, you have a cast on, if possible, remove it. If not possible, then Allah has given you the other option. And what should you do? Just simply do tayammum. Likewise, if you're wearing a ring or big earrings, then there's no difficulty in, you know, rotating them or moving them or taking them off and making the part of the skin wet or washing it. So a person should do that. But if something is small, very small, it's almost, you can't even notice it, or it's very, very thin, the barrier is imperceptible, then the scholars have differed over this. Some scholars have said it does not matter. And other scholars have said that no, it does matter. So, for example, if a person is wearing some kind of medication, it's very, very small, very small amount on their cuticle, then what's best that they should perform? Wudu before applying it. Okay, but let's say they have to keep it on for several hours and the next salah comes in, the time for next prayer comes in, then what should they do? Obviously, they will do tayammum. But other scholars have said that no, it's such a small amount, it's such an insignificant amount and that barrier is also imperceptible. You can't even see it. This is just like henna on the hair or some hair dye on the hair. It is a barrier if you think about it, but it's very imperceptible. It's very fine. Likewise, if a person is wearing a cream or has oil on their hair, yes, the oil does become a water repellent. But we haven't been told that you have to wash off your hair or completely remove the oil and then wash the skin. No, you're supposed to perform wudu on top of that. You're not required to remove the oil. So likewise, if a woman is wearing makeup, lipstick, you know, mascara or something like that, then some scholars have been lenient in this case and they have said it does not matter. But it doesn't mean that you're wearing nail polish and you say, no, it's okay. No, it, that's a huge amount of area. If you add it up, it adds up to a lot of area. So what's the conclusion? What have you understood? Hmm? If it's a bigger amount, if it's wasser area, then what has to be done? You remove the piece of jewelry or whatever it is covering the skin and you wash it. If it's not possible to remove it because of some health reason, some genuine reason, then in that case, what will be done? And the other case where it's a very small amount, then some scholars have been lenient in this case. So they have allowed that a person does not need to remove it and washing over it is sufficient. Like if a person is wearing all water repellent makeup okay, on their skin, their wedding day, and they just go to the washroom and they splash a little bit of water on their face only once, and they dab, you know, with the with the wet cotton ball or something like that on the rest of the face to make sure everything is wet and their makeup doesn't even get ruined. No, that's that's not right. Because the whole face is covered. Okay, the whole face is covered by something that is water repellent. But like I said, if it's just like cream foundation or something like that, lipstick, and it's an imperceptible barrier, it's just like oil on the skin, then that's okay. 
remember that when it comes to things such as rings or jewelry it's not necessary that you remove it you can even rotate it okay you can move it around a little and that is also sufficient because from other versions we learn that that ibn sirin he would not remove the the ring but he would just rotate it what is mentioned over here is that yaghsilu mawdi al khatim he would wash the place covered by the ring and you can wash it how by removing the ring and also by rotating it a little so it doesn't mean that you have to remove your earrings and you have to remove your nose pin no just move it a little just like men are required to do khilal of the beard to make sure that the skin underneath gets wet likewise same thing will apply over here you see bandages are also of different sizes right so you apply a small bandage like i remember that once uh, somebody had a very deep cut on their eye and they thought they would get stitches but they applied this really fine tape for the first time ever i saw it it was very fine very thin and also very small just covered the cut so over that you can wash simply but if you have a huge bandage that's covering most part of the eye then i mean a big portion of the eye is covered you have to wash the entire part if washing the entire part the entire limb was not necessary then ibn sirin would not move his ring then he would not wash the part covered by the ring or you can just be very careful you know remove the bandage it's best to wear fresh bandage anyway so what you do is remove it and as you're washing that that particular area around the cut around the wound then you be careful you know with your finger you can wash the rest of the area and leave a little bit dry and that will be considered as very small amount which according to some scholars you can leave dry it depends on the kind of the gel okay if it's like oil then no harm but if it's like water repellent in the sense that the hair cannot breathe at all it's completely covered then that would be problematic i do not know about this hair styling products okay so i have a question for you if a woman has some hair dye is that permissible then yes can she wash her hair will it be considered washed yes why because the barrier is very fine it's imperceptible حدثنا ادم بن ابي اياس قال حدثنا شعبه قال حدثنا محمد بن زياد قال سمعت ابا هريره وكان يمر بنا that i heard abu huraira وكان يمر بنا and he was passing by us والناس and the people were يتوضؤون they were performing wudu men from المطهره what is mithara what's the wazan wazan mif'al what is mif'al the two good the two ism ala so what is mithara then the tool through which tahara will be obtained so it's basically a vessel or a container in which there is water that contains tahur okay water with which a person can purify himself so the people were performing wudu from a container qala he said asbighu alwudu'a asbighu meaning perfectly perform what alwudu fa inna abul qasim because indeed abul qasim sallallahu alayhi wa sallama qala he said wailun lil arqab min an-nar wailun wa lil arqab to the heels min an-nar from the fire so abu hurair radhiyallahu anhu he was passing by them by some people who were performing wudu and he said make sure you perform your wudu properly asbighu alwudu perfectly thoroughly perform wudu don't 
leave out any part dry. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ said, وَيْلٌ لِلْأَرْقَابِ مِنَ النَّارِ So whatever part you leave dry, you ignore, you are negligent towards, then what will happen? Fire will touch that. Fire will touch that. So sometimes we become lazy. right? We don't want to try too hard in removing all that makeup or removing that nail polish or whatever, in rolling up those sleeves. Then remember that whatever we leave dry, then there is a warning of punishment for that. وَيْلُ لِلْأَرْقَابِ مِنَ النَّارِ Why do you think Abu Hurairah عنه, he told them this? Why do you think he said this to them when they were performing wudu? Because he was afraid. He wanted to make sure they were performing wudu properly and they would not become negligent. So he reminded them. He taught them that make sure you perform wudu properly. And we see that he mentioned the Prophet ﷺ by his kunya, Abu Qasim. He didn't say Rasulullah or An-Nabi ﷺ. He said Abu Qasim. Because calling someone by their name, okay, it's good. But calling someone by their kunya, it is better. It shows endearment. It shows love and respect. So this is the reason why he called him by his kunya, Abu Qasim. And besides, the companions that were forbidden from, you know, calling the Messenger ﷺ by his name, they weren't allowed to say, Oh Muhammad ﷺ. No, they were to call him by his title, by his description, Messenger of Allah, not Oh Muhammad. So he used the kunya. But definitely calling the Prophet ﷺ by his title, by his description, that is even better. Okay, that is even better. Because in the Qur'an, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? لا تجعلوا دعاء الرسول بينكم كدعاء بعضكم بعضا That don't consider calling the messenger between yourselves as calling one another. Meaning don't make it the same. The way you call each other, don't call the Prophet ﷺ in the same manner. You call each other by their names. When you have to call the messenger ﷺ, you call him by his by his title. And if you think about it in the Qur'an even, whenever the Prophet ﷺ is addressed, how does Allah mention him? With his title. Ya ayyuhar rasul. And if any place, if at any place the name of the Messenger ﷺ is mentioned, then along with that in the same verse, his description is also mentioned. For example, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ Rasul is mentioned over there. Likewise, Muhammadur Rasulullah. Right? Rasul is mentioned. مَا كَانَ مُحَمَّدٌ أَبَا أَحَدٍ مِنْ رِجَالِكُمْ وَلَكِنْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَخَاتَمَ النَّبِيكِينَ So, he said Abu Qasim, he mentioned the kunya because it was out of, it was the tradition of the Arabs, but it is better than calling him by his name. And the hadith also shows to us that when a person is telling people about something, he's reminding them about something, then he should also mention the dalil. He should also mention the evidence. Because once the evidence is mentioned, then it's easier for the people to accept. If you just said, oh, brothers, you know your heels are dry, then what would happen? Immediately people become defensive. Immediately people begin to question you. They're like, who are you to, to tell me? But when you say, I heard in a hadith, I learned in a hadith, I learned in the class, then people are more receptive. It is easier for them to accept. Likewise, we could be in a particular place and yes, there are some rules that have to be, you know, followed, that have to be observed. Let's say in a classroom, people are not allowed to eat and drink. And you see somebody eating and drinking. 
Now one is that you go up to that person and say, excuse me, you know, you shouldn't be eating and drinking over here. And the other is that you just point towards the notice board, towards the sign that sister, you know, that sign says no food or drinks in the classroom. So when you say it like that, it's easier for the people to accept. So when we are easy with people, then, you know, it's better for them. And when we are difficult and hard with them, then we make matters difficult for them. باب غسل الرجلين في النعلين غسل washing الرجلين the two feet في النعلين in the sandals ولا يمسح على النعلين and that he should not wipe over the sandals if a person is wearing sandals and by the way نعل okay it's not just any kind of sandal it is like you can say flip flops okay with a strap at the back hardly any part of the foot is covered so When a person is wearing such sandals, then what should he do? He should wash the feet. And he should not just wipe over the sandals. Washing the feet is necessary. Why should a person wash and not wipe? Because if he wipes then, then what? But most of the foot is exposed. Right? Most of the foot is exposed. So when most of the foot is exposed, you have to wash. But when you're wearing socks, when you're wearing shoes that completely cover your feet, okay, or leather socks, then, then what can you do? You can wipe over. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن سعيد المقبري عن عبيد بن جريج أنه قال لعبد الله بن عمر So عبيد بن جريج, he said to عبد الله بن عمر He said to him that يا أبا عبد الرحمن O Abu عبد الرحمن So Abu Abdul Rahman was his kunya. His name was Abdullah. His father was Umar. His son was Abdul Rahman. His kunya was Abu Abdul Rahman. So he said, Oh Abu Abdul Rahman, Ra'aytuka, I have seen you, that tasna'u, you do arba'an four things. I see you doing four things. Lam ara, I have not seen. أَحَدًا anyone مِنْ أَصْحَابِكَ from your companions يَصْنَعُهَا He does it. I have seen you doing four things that none of the other companions do. Only you do these four things. So Abdullah ibn Umar, he said, قَالَ وَمَا هِيَ And what is it? يَا ibn جُرَيْجٍ O ibn Juraj, what is it? قَالَ He said, رَأَيْتُكَ I have seen you. لَا تَمَسُّ لَا تَمَسُّ You do not touch. Min from al-arkan, the corners, illa except al-yamaniyain, the two yamani. Meaning you do not touch the corners of the Kaaba, okay, when you're doing tawaf, except the two yamani corners. In other words, you don't touch all four when you're going around the Kaaba, you only touch two corners, the yamani corners. And the rest of the people, they touch all four. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? When people do tawaf around the Kaaba, they will touch Every corner. But Ibn Umar, he used to touch only two, the Yamani corners. Which ones are there? I will show you in a picture afterwards. وَرَأَيْتُكَ And I have seen you تَلْبَسُ That you wear النعال, The sandals. Which sandals? السبتية, the Sibti sandals. السبتية sandals are those that are made of plain flat leather that are hair free. And basically this leather is from cow skin. So I have seen you wearing sandals that are like this. وَرَأَيْتُكَ And I have seen you تَصْبُغُ That you color, you dye بِالصُفْرَةِ With the yellow. Meaning you dye. 
the hair or the turban. وَرَأَيْتُكَ And I have seen you إِذَا كُنْتَ That when you are بِمَكَّةَ At Makkah أَهَلَّ النَّاسُ أَهَلَّ What does أَهَلَّ mean? From إِهْلَال To say the تَلْبِيَةَ To enter the state of Ihram. So the people, they enter the state of Ihram إِذَا رَأَوُ الْهِلَالَ When they see the new moon. The new moon of what? Dhul Hijjah. So when they're performing Hajj there in Makkah, when they see the new moon, they say the Talbiyah and they already enter the state of Ihram. And when is Hajj? After a number of days, right? وَلَمْ تُهِلَّ And you do not say the Talbiyah, meaning you do not enter the state of Ihram. أَنْتَ يُوْ حَتَّى Until كَانَ It is يَوْمُ التَّرْوِيَةِ Until the day of Tarwiyah. So I have seen you doing these four things that other people don't do. What's the reason behind that? How come you do this differently? Qala Abdullah, Abdullah ibn Umar replied, Amma as for al-arkanu, the corners of the Kaaba, fa'inni, then indeed I, lam ara, I have not seen Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yamassu, touching, illa except al-yamaniyain, the two Yamani corners. So when he touched only the two Yamani corners, I will also touch only those two, in tawaf. He did not touch the other two, so I will not also touch the other two. وَأَمَّا النِّعَالُ السِّبْتِيَّةِ And as for the سِبْتِي نِعَالِ فَإِنِّي رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَلْبَسُ النَّعْلَةِ I saw him wearing these sandals. أَلَّتِي لَيْسَ فِيهَا شَعْرِ أَلَّتِي Those which لَيْسَ فِيهَا There is not in it شَعْرِ any hair. وَيَتَوَضَّأُ فِيهَا And he would also perform wudu in those sandals. فَأَنَا أُحِبُّ So I love أَنْ أَلْبَسَهَا That I should also wear the same kind of sandals. وَأَمَّا الصُّفْرَ And as for the yellow color, فَإِنِّي رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ So I saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم يَصْبُغُ بِهَا He died with it. He used the same color. فَأَنَا أُحِبُّ أَنْ أَصْبُغَ بِهَا So I love to die with that same color as well. وَأَمَّا الْإِهْلَالِ And as for entering the state of Ihram, فَإِنِّي لَمْ أَرَى رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ So I did not see the Messenger of Allah صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يُهِلُّ That he would enter the state of Ihram حَتَّى أَنْتِلْ تَمْبَعِثَ It would rise up, be he with him, رَاحِلَتُهُ His mount, meaning his camel. So when he would leave, when he would depart for Mina, at that time he would say, لَبَيْك then it is that he would enter the state of ihram. So I do the same thing. So in other words, he put on the ihram huh? as late as possible. Not before the due time, but when he would depart for Mina, it is then that he would enter the state of ihram. So I do the same thing. Now we see over here that Ibn Juraj, he was apparently objecting right, at the actions of Ibn Umar anhu. If somebody asks us that why do you do such and such? Or how come you don't do this what other people do? We would get offended. That who are you to criticize me? And who are you to look at me? Why don't you look at your own self? But we see that Abdullah ibn Umar, he did not mind. He asked him, okay, so what is it that you have noticed? Different. And when he was asked, he also gave the explanation. So this shows that a person should be wasir or sadr, meaning he should be a little open-hearted. Especially when a person becomes, you know, someone of knowledge or he is helping other people or teaching other people or guiding them in any respect, then he should be a little 
in an open heart in the sense that people will come with questions, they will come with objections, they will come with their concerns. And when they ask, then don't take it to personally. Don't take it personally. And you should not mind at all. Why? Because you have to be patient over the other of people. Sometimes the objections could be very unreasonable that how come you come late and you don't come at nine o'clock when the school opens? Why do you come just before your class? You could be asked such a question. Or why is it that you have water in class and other people are not allowed to drink in class? Or people could have other objections against you. Why is it that you are doing this differently and other people are doing this differently? So, yes, you may have a reason. Your case may be different. You may have some genuine reason. But you have to be patient over what the people ask. Because this is part of the package. You know, when you are in the way of Allah, then people will ask you. And when you are doing something differently, then you stand out even more. So sometimes people may ask. For example, you are praying somewhere and you lift your hands up and somebody says, oh, you, so you've become Wahhabi. Doesn't matter. Ignore them what they're saying. They don't know about the ahadith that you have learned. So you have to bear patiently. You have to have sabr over the other of people. Sometimes the questions are reasonable and sometimes they are unreasonable. So reasonable, let them satisfy their curiosity. And when they're unreasonable or when they're too personal, then you don't have to go on clarifying yourself. You can respond to them in a nice way, but you're not required to give details. Like sometimes people will be so curious about the lives of other people. Okay, well, so what do they eat and where do they go? And what's their citizenship and what's their visa status and what's their immigration story? I mean, who are you to ask? What have you got to do with it anyway? But when a person comes in the limelight, then people become curious about such things. So you may have your own reasons, whatever, but you don't have to get offended. Okay, You have to have patience over the other of people. And sometimes such questions are asked, why? Out of love. That people love others and they want to know every detail about them. So they ask, okay, so when are they coming? And do they have their passport or do they have their visa or do they have this or do they have that? It's just out of love. So again, don't get offended. Like the Sahaba, they were concerned about the about the very personal matters of the Prophet ﷺ as well. Why? Because they wanted to learn. The younger companions, they would follow him when he went to the washroom. Ibn Abbas, he came and stayed in the house of the Prophet ﷺ in the night because he wanted to see what his nighttime habits were. So this is out of love. You know, this is just like some people, they follow let's say the prince or the princess or the queen or, you know, whoever, the duchess or whatever. Why? Just because they they love them, right? Or they are just curious. Sometimes they end up harming them in that process. And other times it is just out of pure love. Oh, because they are the queen, they are the prince of our nation, so we want to know every detail about them. Yes, it is love. But on our part, we should also be a little bit more careful. Okay, remember من حسن الإسلام المرئي تركه ما لا يعنيه Of the beauty of a person's Islam is that he leaves what does not concern him. So you really don't need to find out which phone is it that another person is carrying, what jacket is it that they're wearing, you know, what time they arrive, when they leave, which car they drive, where they live, what kind of food they cook, do they cook or do they not cook. You know, you don't have to be 
concerned about all these details. We should be curious about matters that benefit us, not matters that don't benefit us. So this is a big lesson that we all have to learn. So the first question that he asked Ibn Umar was about his touching the Yamani corners of the Kaaba in Tawaf and not all four corners of the Kaaba. What was the response of Ibn Umar that he touched only the two corners? Why? Because that is what he saw the Prophet ﷺ doing. Prophet ﷺ did not touch the all four but only two. Now if you look at this picture, you see the black stone and you see the Yamani corner. The Yamani corner and the black stone, these two are known as the Yamani corners. They, these are the Yamani yain. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he performed tawaf, what would he touch? These two corners. The other two corners, the Shami corner and the Iraqi corner, these two corners he would not touch in tawaf. And Ibn Umar, he also did not touch these corners in tawaf. By looking at this picture, what comes to your mind? Why do you think he did not touch those two corners? Yes, but why did the Prophet ﷺ not touch the Iraqi corner and the Yemeni corner? Because technically they are not the corners of the Kaaba. Technically they are not the corners of the Kaaba. The original Kaaba was big, right? Stretching all the way from the Hajar Aswad to the end of the Hijr, to the end of the Hatim. But remember that when the Quraysh, when they were reconstructing the Kaaba after the floods, what happened? They did not have enough materials. So they reduced the size of the Kaaba. And they left the other area uncovered. And instead a wall was built. I told you the history already, once before, that how later on it was a struggle, it was a competition between the different leaders that came. One would break the Kaaba down and build it upon the original foundations. And then the next king would come and he would break it down and build it on the structure that the Quraysh had built it upon. So technically we see that the Iraqi and the Shami corner, they're not the corners of the Kaaba. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ did not touch them. And we learned that once Ibn Abbas ﷺ, he objected at the action of Muawiyah ﷺ when he touched all four corners. And Muawiyah said that the entire Kaaba is good, so we will touch all of it. But Ibn Abbas responded that لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا That in the way of the Prophet ﷺ is the best example. So we should do what the Messenger ﷺ did. And Muawiyah, he said that you are right. And then he discontinued that practice, meaning when عنه, when he would do the tawaf, he would only touch the Yamani corners. The second question that he asked Ibn Umar was about his wearing sandals that were made of tanned leather. And because of this, it is that Imam Bukhari is quoting this hadith. So now such a long hadith, He's mentioning just to prove one small point, which is that you have to wash your feet and you can wash them while wearing sandals, but you have to wash them. You can't just wipe over them. And the proof of that is that Ibn Umar anhu he used to wear sandals and he said that he saw the Prophet ﷺ wearing similar sandals and when he would perform wudu, he would perform wudu in them. Meaning he wouldn't remove them to wash his feet, he would just wash his feet while wearing those sandals. So can we do the same thing? Yeah? We can do the same thing. Now a person might say, isn't it better to remove the sandals? Not always. You could be in a place where the floor is very dirty, 
or it's very muddy. You could be out in the open somewhere and if you take your sandal off and if you put your foot on the ground, your foot will become even more dirty. So it's best to keep the sandals on and wash the foot in those sandals. But again, these sandals are different. They're loose. So they're such that when you wash, the entire foot will become wet. The top part as well as the sole of the foot, the bottom of the foot, even that will get wet. So that is something that a person should take care of when washing the feet in sandals. But it shows the love that Ibn Umar had for the Prophet ﷺ. He was, you can say, a true fan. When a person is a fan of someone, then what do they do? They imitate them in everything. They have this hairstyle, I will have this hairstyle. They're wearing this kind of jewelry, I will wear this kind of jewelry. They're wearing this kind of abaya, I will wear this kind of abaya. So people like to imitate those whom they are a fan of. And Ibn Umar anhu, he saw the Prophet ﷺ wearing those sandals and he wore the same. He saw the Prophet ﷺ performing wudu in them, he did the same. And Ibn Juraj, he asked him about that because perhaps he found it strange that Ibn Umar, given the level that he had, was wearing sandals all the time. You know, perhaps a lot of wealth had come in amongst Muslims by that time and everybody wore, let's say, proper shoes or more fancier sandals and shoes and he wore very simple, basic sandals. Why? Because he saw the Prophet ﷺ wearing them. So there is beauty in simplicity as well. He followed the Prophet ﷺ. He could have just said, yeah, it's my choice, whatever sandals I wear, what has it got to do with you? But he said, I saw the Prophet ﷺ wearing them. So this is why I wear them too. He was confident about what he was doing. If somebody makes fun of, you know, let's say our hijab that, oh, you're wearing a, a bed sheet or something, a tablecloth or something. We feel embarrassed that your hijab is so outdated or your abaya is so outdated. I mean, you should wear those really small, tight hijabs. But you feel that, no, it doesn't cover me properly. I should wear bigger. So don't feel embarrassed. Be confident. He was only a child. Right? When he saw the Prophet ﷺ, but it shows his observation. That how much he observed the Prophet ﷺ, and you can only observe someone, you can only notice their shoes and their clothes when you are interested in them. And if you're not interested in a person, then you don't even realize what color they were wearing, what kind of shoes they were wearing, if they were wearing shoes or not. Now, the third thing that he asked him about was his dying with Sufra. Sufra is actually Zafran. What is Zafran? Saffron. It's a very aromatic herb that's used for its color and its fragrance and its taste. Okay, It's used in different ways. People use it in their cooking. And back in the day and even today, people use it for dyeing as well. Either their clothes or even their hair. Perhaps something else was added to it to color the hair or to color the clothes. So Ibn Umar, he used to use sufra. Now it's not clear whether he used it on his hair or on his turban, his clothes. It's not that clear from this narration. But different reports, different ahadith, they tell us that the Prophet ﷺ, he colored his amama, his turban, and according to some other reports, that he dyed his hair. He colored his hair as well. And there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars when it comes to dyeing the hair amongst men. For women, it's clear, but for the men, there is slight difference of opinion. Some scholars consider it to be disliked uh, that men should color their hair with any color, and others uh, they consider it to be permissible. 
because there are apparently conflicting reports and if I go into that discussion it will take very long inshallah may Allah give us a tawfiq we will learn about this in kitabul libas okay in bukhari inshallah but in a hadith we learned that the prophet sallallahu said that the jews and the christians do not dye their hair so you should do the opposite of what they do this is mentioned in bukhari another hadith tells us that muhammad ibn sirin he said i asked anas did the prophet sallallahu dye his hair anas said that the Prophet ﷺ did not have except a few gray hairs, meaning he did not die. All I saw was a few gray hairs on his head. So Anas ﷺ, he reported something different. But it's possible that the Prophet ﷺ colored his hair only a few times. Only a few times. Or when he did, Anas did not see him. I mean, it's a personal matter. You know, a person has hair dye and they don't necessarily walk around with the hair dye on, on their hair. Right? There's something that's a personal matter. So it's possible that Anas ﷺ never realized so, but it is clear that from this, that Ibn Umar, he used to dye his hair or his turban. Why? Because he said that he saw the Prophet ﷺ doing the same. So this is why he did it. So this shows that men, they can wear colored clothes and they can also color their hair, but obviously colors that are culturally acceptable. Okay, so for example, when it comes to colored clothing, what kind of colors should men wear? Those that are culturally acceptable. And remember that cultures, they vary. In one culture, for a man to wear, you know, let's say a yellow shirt might be not that appropriate, but in another culture, it's perfectly fine. In one culture, wearing red is an unacceptable. But the Prophet ﷺ, he wore a red Buddha once. Right? So he, he wore it. So you have to see what is culturally acceptable, the culture of a particular place and the culture of the area, the community, the city, the country that a person is living in. So it is acceptable. The fourth question that he asked him was about his wearing ihram for hajj. That the common people, they enter into the state of ihram upon sighting the moon of the hijjah by pronouncing the talbiyah and they continue to do so until the hajj is complete. So all the way from the first of the hijjah to the thirteenth, they are wearing ihram. But Ibn Umar he did not. He wore ihram when? On the 8th of the hijjah on Yawm tarwiyah So he said that, why do you do that? Why don't you wear the ihram the first day? He said that I saw the Prophet ﷺ wearing his ihram when? When he would leave for Mina. When he would leave for Mina, this is why I do the same. There is one important lesson that we learn from this hadith. Ibn Umar anhu, his actions, although they were very few, but they differed from the majority. So, the amal of the people, the common practice of the people, is it necessarily deen? No. It's not necessary that just because everybody is doing something, it has to be right. No. It's not necessary. Everybody could be practicing something and it could be wrong or it could be not the best option. So, Ibn Umar, he was unique in his actions, but he was Right. So this is why he held on to them. And other people, they noticed them. So they asked him about him and he clarified it to them as well. So it might happen with us that if we are dressing differently or praying slightly differently from the rest of the people, they might object, they might question because you're standing out. So what's the lesson? Don't get offended. Just clarify. Be patient and clarify. Any question? Yes. I was reading somewhere the other day that 
I read that a writer once wrote that the number of followers you have does not signify that you're right because Hitler had a lot of followers and Jesus or Isa salam had very few disciples and he was the one who was on the right path. And very true. So majority is not always right. Bab at-tayammun fil wudu'i wal ghusli. At-tayammun. What's the root? Ya mim? Noon. Yumna. Yadul yumna. Right hand. So at-tayammun. What do you think it means? Starting with the right, doing with the right, fil wudu, in wudu, wal ghusl, and also when taking a bath. So in other words, washing the right hand, the right arm, the right foot first, and then washing the left one. In wudu and in ghusl. How can you do that in ghusl? That washing the right side of the body first, and then the left side of the body. حدثنا مسدد قال حدثنا إسماعيل قال حدثنا خالد عن حفصة عن حفصة بنت سيرين عن أم عطية قالت she said قال نبي صلى الله عليه وسلم that the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم he said لهن to them to أم عطية and her female companions في غسل in the bathing of ابنته of his daughter when his daughter passed away the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said to the women Amongst whom was Umm Atiyah, that when you're washing my daughter's dead body, then how should you do that? Ibda'na bimayaminiha. Begin from her right sides. Wamawadi'il wudu'i minha. And the places of wudu from them. Meaning when you are washing the dead body, then begin with wudu first. Perform the wudu first, and then wash the rest of the body. And when you are performing the wudu or the rest of the body, which side should you wash first? The right side. So the deceased, when they are being given their ghusl, then how should that be done? That first the wudu is to be performed and then the rest of the body is to be washed. And it has to be started from the right side. But in the wudu, is the mouth and nose to be washed as well? No. Because if water is poured into the nose or the mouth, then that's not something you want to do to a dead body. I mean, it cannot come out. So what has to be done? A wet cloth or something has to be taken and... The inside has to be wiped clean. And then wash the rest of the body. And how to do that? Beginning from the right side. So if the dead body, when that is being washed, and you begin from the right side, then for the person who is alive, what should they do? They should also wash from the right side. If for the dead body, washing from the right side is better for a living person, It's even better than, I mean, it's even more necessary that they should wash themselves beginning from the right side. And this is obviously Amr of Istihbab. Remember I told you before that Amr, sometimes it is of Istihbab and sometimes it is of Wujub. Right? Sometimes it tells us that it is better and sometimes it means that it's mandatory. Over here, it is better. So if, let's say, out of forgetfulness, a person didn't realize and they were washing and they were taking a bath and they ended up scrubbing their left arm first or the left side of their body first. So is it that they have done something haram? No. They did not follow the sunnah, so they left the better option, but that was out of forgetfulness. So inshallah, there's nothing wrong in that. But if you want more reward, if you want your ibadah to be beautiful, then what should be done? Begin from the right side. Now, This should be done when performing wudu, when performing ghusl, whether that ghusl is of janaba or otherwise even. Now I have a question for you. When you're wiping the head in wudu, then should you start wiping from the right side? 
from the front because that's what the sunnah tells us. Likewise, when you're wiping the ears, should you wipe the right ear first and then the left ear? No, both together because that is what the sunnah tells us. But when it comes to washing the arms, when it comes to washing the feet, then right first and then the left. حدثنا حفص بن عمر قال حدثنا شعبة قال أخبرني أشعث بن سليم قال سمعت أبي عن مسروق عن عائشة قالت she said كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم يعجبه يعجبه he would like it التيمن beginning with the right في تنعله وترجله وطهوره في تنعله what do you think this is from Na'al. Yes, when wearing his sandals. So when he wore his sandals, he liked to wear which one first? The right one first. Watarajulihi. Combing his hair. Combing his hair. So when he would comb his hair, he preferred to comb the right side first and then the left side. Watuhurihi. And in his washing. Tuhur meaning fi'lu tahara. And fi'lu tahara, the action of obtaining cleanliness, whether it is wudu or ghusl. So when he would perform wudu or ghusl, he preferred to start from the right side. وَفِي شَأْنِهِ كُلِّهِ And in all of his affairs, he liked to do the right side first, or he used to prefer to begin with the right. So for example, when he would be sitting amongst people and something had to be passed, then he would pass from? Right side first. If something had to be given or taken, it would be done with the right hand. When he would be wearing his clothes, then the right side first. When entering the masjid, right side first. And this word, يُعْجِبُهُ This is i'jab, istihsan, Meaning of liking. This is not like being amazed and shocked. No. This is amazed with the meaning of, you know, likeness. When something appeals to you. So we see in this that in doing anything, the Prophet ﷺ, he preferred to begin with the right side. And وَفِي شَأْنِهِ كُلِّهِ This should not be generalized. Okay, this is عَام مَخْصُوص This is general, but it is also specific. Because we know that there were certain things that he would do with the left hand. That he would do with the left hand or he would begin with the left side. So we see that there are exceptions for which the left hand will be used or the left side will be done first. But generally... What was his preference? The right side. This means that a Muslim cannot say that, oh, since I'm a righty, I do everything with right. Or since I'm a lefty, I do everything with the left hand. No. There are certain actions that have to be done with the right hand, and there are other actions that have to be done with the left. And in doing them, a person is earning more reward. Now, remember that there are three kinds of things, or three kinds of actions. First is... Mustaqdar. The second is mustahsan. And the third is neither mustaqdar nor mustahsan. What is mustaqdar? The first one. That which is dirty. Okay, or unclean. So for them, which hand should be used? The left. Such as washing oneself after using the washroom. Blowing one's nose. When doing these actions or when proceeding towards this, then what should be done? The left should be used. Likewise, when a person is leaving the masjid, he was in a good place and now he is going to a place that is not as good as the masjid. So which foot will come out first? The left one. Because he's advancing towards something lesser compared to what he was doing before. 
Likewise, a person is entering the washroom. Then again, which foot in first? The left. A person is removing the clothes. He was covered. That state is better compared to nakedness. Okay? So he is removing the clothes. He is advancing towards something that is not that great. That is lesser than what he was in. So begin with the left. The second type of actions are mustahsan, meaning clean, good, things. And for them, which hand should be used? The right hand. So for example, a person is eating, a person is drinking, a person is writing, a person is taking something, a person is giving something, a person is entering the masjid, a person is, you know, picking up a book, picking up the mushaf, holding the mushaf. In salah, a person is standing, you know, with their hands one on top of the other. So which one is better? I mean, you're in the state of salah, so your right hand should be above the left. You understand? So in these actions, in these cases, the right hand should be used. Likewise, a person was outside there entering the home, the house. So the right foot in first. Okay, you were outside. Now you're going to your house, the place that Allah has given you to live in. The place where you find sukoon. So when you're entering that place, you should enter with the right foot in first. Yes. Go ahead. Mustaqdar from Qidr. Qaf dhal ra. Dirt, filth. Qaf dhal ra. Okay. Yeah, for coming out of the house, okay, you were in your house, unless you're going to the masjid or, you know, this forces you to think about everything that you're doing. I move towards, you know, this action that is better. So when I'm moving towards this action that's better, right first. Because when you are going towards something that you're doing for the sake of Allah, you're earning Allah's pleasure through it, then, you know, right first. And when you're doing something that's lesser, then the left first. The third type of action is neither mustaqdar nor mustahsan, meaning it doesn't really matter. It's neutral. So for that, what should a person do? Use whichever hand that's more convenient. For example, you're wearing a ring. Okay, you're beautifying yourself. Okay, you want to wear it in your right hand. Now you can't put your ring on with your right hand, on your right hand, can you? You want to wear a ring in your right hand, you can't do it with the right hand. You have to use your left hand. There's no harm in that. And the reports that tell us the Prophet ﷺ, sometimes he had his ring in his right hand and other times he would have it in his left hand. Likewise, you are closing your buttons. Now again, you need both hands. Or you are you know, wearing something on your right side. So you need the left hand for that purpose. You're trimming your nails you know, your of your right hand. So you need to use the left hand. So in these cases, there's no harm in using the left hand in even beginning with the left hand. Likewise, a person is entering the car. Okay. Now you're entering the car from the right side of the car. You can't go in with your right foot in first. You have to put your left foot in first, even if you're going to the masjid. So there's no harm. Okay. There's no harm. You're not doing anything that's lesser. No person might wonder, what's the big deal? Just do whatever is easy and, and why are you making things complicated for yourself? The thing is that when a person does these small, small actions, but with that intention of following the Prophet ﷺ, then he can accumulate many, many good deeds. Many good deeds. You're wearing the hijab, you could pick it up with your left hand, you could pick it up with your right hand. But if you think that, no, I'm wearing a hijab, I'm going to obey my Lord here, let me do it with the right hand. It's going to bring you extra reward, inshallah. You're wearing your clothes, you start with the right. You're eating, you, you do it with the right. You're leaving. You're coming to the masjid, you enter with the right foot in first. You are getting more reward, inshallah. There must be more barakah, more blessing in starting with the right as well. Because ayman 
is used for right, but it's also used for blessed. So there is also barakah. And also, I was just thinking that if you're finding it so difficult to uh, perform the little deeds, then how can you bring yourself to perform bigger exactly. deeds? In the hadith also, we learn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, when He accepts the sadaqah, when a person gives sadaqah, then Allah takes it in His right hand. And both hands of Allah are right. Meaning both hands are, are best, they are right. So when we also do something good, we should do it with the right first. That on the Day of Judgment, some people will be given their books in the right hand and others will be given their books in the left hand. Now if a person is used to doing things with the right hand, with the right intention, so automatically which hand will come out? Right hand will come out. So it's the way you live that we will be on the Day of Judgment and, and the hereafter as well. Yes. And also just in general, even living amongst people, for many of us, it's the little things, the little small gestures that go a long way. So yes. just imagine even for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's the small things that we do that go yes. a long way. Yes. When we're amongst people, a smile can make so much of a difference. A small word, a small gesture can make such a difference to somebody's entire day. Now imagine when you're doing little, little things to please Allah, you think that will not make Allah happy? Of course. So little, little actions matter a lot as well. I have to be very conscious. You have to be very conscious. And for that, knowledge is necessary. Like before also, you know, we knew that when you go to the washroom, you use your left hand. But now it's more conscious. Left hand, not right hand, left hand. Likewise, now inshallah, when doing anything right, we should use the right hand. So the asl, the basic principle is that when doing something good or even neutral, do the right hand, use the right hand, start with the right side. And when something has been specified, you know that it has to be done with the left first or the left hand should be used, then for that, use the left hand. And uh, it sort of prepares us for doing like good or, you know, if you're entering the masjid with the right foot, we are like, inshallah, we are going to be doing yes. more good. Yes. And uh, if we, you know, are using our, you know, left hand or our left foot, then we are kind of careful too. That what's, what are we going to be doing yes. if you're going outside? Exactly. It really makes you conscious about your actions. That when you enter the masjid thinking, I am entering with my right foot in first, then you will also say the dua. And when you go in, you will also say the nafal. And you will be careful that, okay, I'm in the masjid. I'm here for a purpose. You will not waste your time. But if you walk in without thinking, without paying attention, then you will neither follow the sunnah, nor will you say the dua, nor will you be conscious about your actions once you enter the masjid. Heedless. Ghafla. Right? Every step of the way. So one person is... Conscious, another person is ghafil. There will be a difference. But we see that consciousness is, is built up with these little, little actions. It begins from these small actions. And also when it comes to wearing shoes or combing the hair, in these things also, start making it a habit that when you start combing your hair, start with the right side and then the left side. When you're drying your hair, when you're straightening your hair, whatever, start with the right first and then the left. Sometimes it's more convenient for us to do the left side first because, you know, that's where the hand goes. But start with the right side. Okay, because then you can really accumulate lots of hasanat. And also teach children. Teach children from a very young age that right foot in first or we wear the right shoe first and then the left one. When wearing clothes, we put the right arm in first and then the left. Because these habits develop from a very young age. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka. ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته